a wholehearted response to God results inevitably in a widespread blessing from God. That is one of a central tenets or points of the Bible. So let me repeat it. A wholehearted response to God results in a widespread blessing from God. One of the most outstanding examples of this in the Bible is one of the kings of Israel that many of you are familiar with, whose name was Josiah. We've been doing a study of outstanding men and women in the Bible, and we're focusing on him for a few minutes this morning. Let me briefly describe his historical context. Um, Of course, among its other literature, the Old Testament provides us with about a thousand years of the history of the nation of Israel. And the key idea in this material, the key point for you and me, is that by carefully observing God's relationship with the nation, we can gain some extremely important insights about his relationship with us. The first uh, 500 years of their history as a nation, there was no well-organized government. They were a commonwealth of tribes. But after about 500 years, they established a monarchy in which kings uh, were the governing authority in the country. And the first three kings of the nation were the king Saul, David, and Solomon. After the death of Solomon, because of some conflict, the nation divided into two pieces, north and south. The part in the north was called Israel. Uh, Judah was the name that they took for the portion of the country in the south. And over the next few hundred years, the north had a succession of 19 kings, every one of which the Bible describes as ineffective leaders and men with not a particularly good character. The South had a succession of 20 kings, eight of whom were described as men with very good character and who were effective leaders. And among these eight good kings in the South, there was one absolutely outstanding individual who was Josiah. And we have two parallel accounts of his life, one in Second Kings and another in Second Chronicles. So I'd like to quote uh, primarily from Chronicles as we look at his life uh, briefly. We begin in Second Chronicles chapter 34 and verse 1, where we read Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. Now, we'll soon see that this boy grows into a very outstanding individual and leader, despite the fact that the odds are against him. His grandfather, Manasseh, was one of the absolutely worst individuals and certainly leaders in the history of the nation, north or south, and his father Ammon, in his simple two-year reign, was so corrupt and hated that he was murdered by his own staff. Uh, they killed him 
And so the country was ruled uh, by regents, uh, kind of a regency for a few years. And then as soon as Josiah was at least some sort of uh, knowledgeable young boy, they coronated him or crowned him the king. And then the regency continued, obviously, until he became a mature individual. But we read on in verse 3 of this chapter. It says, In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a youth, he began to seek the God of his ancestor, David. So the eighth year of his reign was when he was 16 years old. We don't know what influenced him. The details aren't provided for us. We don't know what sort of modeling and instruction. But we know from this passage that here is an individual with a very responsive heart. And one insight that we can gain from this is that if you have teens or children who are coming into teens, sometimes teens make very, very important spiritual decisions during their teen years that have, can have obviously lifelong consequences, um, good consequences. And so in our church, we've always invested a very significant amount of our offerings in trying to create the best teen program that we can possibly create so that we can be there for our teens in this critical decision-making period of their lives. We read on in the following in verse 3, a little bit later. It says, in the twelfth year of his reign, which means when he was 20 years old, he, Josiah, began to purify Judah and Jerusalem, destroying all the pagan shrines, carved idols, and cast images. Now, as most of you are familiar uh, with the text of the book of Exodus, God, once he delivered these Israelites uh, from slavery in Egypt, he entered into a very special, unique relationship with them as a people. He provided a great deal of instruction to them that is recorded for us in the book of Leviticus and some in Numbers and some in Deuteronomy, but one of his principal governing rules for having a healthy relationship with him and enjoying his blessing was to resist their temptation to drift into the religions of the nations around them. Now, the country for over a period of 300 years had ignored uh, this instruction, and so the result was an accumulation of lots of idols and idol altars and shrines in Jerusalem outside the city and the countryside, and even in the temple itself. And so as we read all of these three chapters about Josiah, we see that uh, he was wanting to honor and respect God and the relationship that God had established with the nation. And so he first one of the first things he did when he became 20 years old, he fired all the priests that previous kings had hired to help the people worship some of these pagan gods. He cleaned out the temple from all of these uh, idol shrines and altars that were and where people were worshiping some of these gods. The conditions were so bad that rooms had been used for the use of male prostitutes in these really perverse rituals, mixing sex and religion in the temple itself, and certainly he destroyed those. 
And the very worst of it was out from Jerusalem. There were a group of people who were worshiping the pagan god Molech. And much like the Aztecs or the Incas in Central America a thousand years ago, they burned some of their own children in the worship of this false god. And so he came down very hard on this cult and destroyed any semblance of that uh, ceremony and their opportunity to do that. Then we read on in verse 8 of chapter 34. It says, in the 18th year of his reign, he's 26 years old by this time, after he had purified the land and the temple... Josiah appointed the governor of Jerusalem and the royal historian to repair the temple of the Lord his God. They hired carpenters and masons and restored what earlier kings of Judah had allowed to fall into ruin. As the high priest was recording the money collected at the Lord's temple, he found the book of the law. Of the Lord, it says, as it had been given through Moses. This is very interesting. Um, Obviously, this reveals that for a long period of time, the instruction of the Bible as they had at the time had become completely lost and obscured and, and neglected. There weren't sufficient copies of it. Even the king himself, the people, the priests and the temple had so disregarded the faith of their fathers and mothers of previous generations, that it was amazing they actually found this ancient copy of the scriptures that they had at the time. So they brought it back to Josiah, and it was read to him. This reveals that he had never had very much instruction in the Bible. All of these previous initiatives were principally because he had a sensitive heart and he knew something just from verbal instruction from the people around us of what was right and wrong, but he had never been really exposed to the light that is available in the Scripture, the Scripture that was there at the time. And when he was able to hear what God had actually said himself, he was pierced. Because it says in verse 19, when the king heard what was written in the law, he tore his clothes in despair. He was pierced by the level of the people's disregard of God and his instructions and his guidance and the love and kindness that he has displayed to the nation over a period of time. He he was wounded personally by the fact that things had deteriorated to the point that they had. And then he says, then he gave these orders to the king's personal advisor. Go to the temple and speak to the Lord for me and for all Israel and Judah. Ask him about the words written in this scroll that has been found. The Lord's anger has been poured out against us because our ancestors have not obeyed the word of the Lord. We have not been doing what this scroll says we must do. 
suddenly, when he reads the, the, the book of the law of the Lord, he sees, he, he, he clearly understands the underlying reasons for the progressive decline of the nation, morally and militarily and economically and every other way. God has withdrawn his blessing because the law specified very clearly if they responded to God with sensitive and open hearts and followed his instructions wholeheartedly with all their mind, heart, soul, spirit, then he would protect them, he would bless them, he, he would provide all of these benefits to them. And so it's clear, why are we in the mess that we are in? He's realizing it's because of this. So it says in verse 22, so they went to consult with the prophet Huldah. She said to them, the Lord, the God of Israel, has spoken. Go and tell the man who sent you, this is what the Lord says. I will certainly destroy this city and its people. All the curses written in the scroll you have read will come true. For the people of Judah have abandoned me and worshipped pagan gods, and I am very angry with them for everything they have done. My anger will be poured out against this place, and nothing will be able to stop it. One of the most spiritually discerning and mature people in the nation at the time was this woman, Huldah. So the leadership around Josiah go to her for her understanding of what God was saying, and uh, she had those remarks to say that God, yes, in fact, he is going to follow through exactly what was promised in the book of Moses hundreds of years before if they responded over a long period of time in the way that they had responded. But then she goes on, she says, but go to the king of Judah who sent you and tell him, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. You were sorry and humbled yourself before God when you heard what I said against this city and its people. You humbled yourself, tore your clothing in despair, and wept before me in repentance. So I have indeed heard you. I will not send the promised disaster against this city and its people until after you have died and been buried in peace. You will not see the disaster I am going to bring on this place. So they took her message back to the king. So this is good news. He he cannot change in any respect God's overarching sovereign purposes and discipline of the nation. But because of his own personal integrity, because he has done business with God in his heart, in his mind, and that is producing some good results, God will stay his hand and there will be peace in the nation during the life of Josiah. So then uh, Josiah takes steps. This is a man who is very proactive. He is not passive. When he understands the truth, he acts. He responds to the directions that God has given. So we read in verse 29, Then the king summoned all the leaders 
of Judah and Jerusalem. The king went up to the temple of the Lord with all the people of Judah and Jerusalem and the priests, everyone from the greatest to the least. There the king read to them the entire book of the covenant that had been found in the Lord's temple. He may be referring to the book, of, as we know of, as the book of Deuteronomy. He may be talking about all the material of Exodus through Deuteronomy. It's not entirely clear, but it's a substantial amount of material. And he read this right through it for them. And then it says the king renewed the covenant in the Lord's presence. He pledged to obey the Lord by keeping all his commandments regulations, and laws with all of his heart and soul. He required everyone in Jerusalem and the others to make a similar pledge. And as the people did this, they renewed their covenant with God. And then finally, in verse 33, So Josiah required everyone to worship the Lord their God throughout the rest of his life, They did not turn away from the Lord, the God of their ancestors. Now, of course, we know that it's impossible to force anyone to respond uh, positively to God. What he did was remove the temptations for them to drift into this dark part of their culture and and personal leanings at the time, because they thought all these pagan gods could offer all of these benefits to them, and the the God of Israel, the God, the one and only creator and sustainer of the universe, had become very dim in their awareness. Uh, But he led them, not only did he remove the temptations, but he led them by example. He first did business within himself with God, and then he was able through that, to have this dramatic effect throughout the people in the nation at the time. His response uh, delayed for more than a generation uh, this discipline that God was going to bring, and it led to a nationwide awakening. One of the primary national festivals was the Passover, that God is part of what God had instructed the people to do uh, once a year, that massive numbers of people were to go back to Jerusalem and celebrate this. It's like a big party in a way of, of singing and worship and connecting with each other and certain rituals that they were to follow through on to experience God in his uh, presence. And that had been neglected for a long period of time, but he called for a renewal of the festival and the people were so responsive that there was a greater attendance than there had been for almost a thousand years, the Bible says. So, so great was this work within him and so great was the spirit of God's work through him that the whole nation was awakened and experienced uh, an entirely new quality of life in their relationship with God and in their personal lives and their family lives and and uh, the rest of their uh, experience. So several questions that his life poses for us, of course, that just leap up off the pages, uh, questions that his life poses for you and for me. Do we, do you,
take God's directions and his instructions this seriously. He, at first, had a very minimal amount of light, but he responded to what he knew. Second question, do we have the same kind of responsive heart? Do we desire a heart like this? Are we willing to pray for this kind of heart? To approach God and say, when we realize that our heart condition, spiritually speaking, is not particularly positive, to appeal to God. Lord, renew me. Stimulate within me a a deeper and a more sustaining interest and passion for your instructions, for your reality, for a strength and willingness to follow you and to do what you desire for me to do. And another question, third question, are we willing to take the same kinds of radical steps to live a pure life? Very clear, it leaps up off the page of, of the life of Jeremiah that part of the great awakening that took place under his leadership was purity. God honors it when we seek purity in our personal lives and our thought life and our relationships and the way that we manage our finances and, and various other aspects of life. That honors God. It pleases God and he inevitably blesses when that takes place. So our, the final lesson, and I want to interview some dear friends in closing this morning, um, the implications are significant. We see that instead of a lot of people experiencing stress and struggle and difficulty and ultimately the disintegration of the country, instead there was this great renewal, and it traces right back to the decisions of one individual. And the same is true uh, for us, your your choices, my choices, and the inner parts of our mind and heart have very real and direct consequences uh, for our marriage, for our family, for the quality of life of our children, and ultimately for the community around us. There's a correlation between uh, moral courage and physical courage. He died a very young man. The text says that he died at age 39 in battle because there was an invasion from the Egyptians in the south. And instead of delegating the task to others, he went out and he was killed in battle. So he did not live a very long life, but he lived a life of great vitality and energy and influence in the years that he did have. And then his great epitaph is in Second Kings 23. 25 says, never before had there been a king like Josiah who turned to the Lord with all his heart and soul and strength, obeying all the laws of Moses, and there was never a king like him afterwards. Now that's a pretty substantial uh, statement to be made about an individual in light of all the people. Uh, that were rulers and leaders in these two nations, that God, for all time, recognizes and acknowledges him as a man who was very, very special.